go. Welcome to Moot, the podcast where mistakes are guaranteed and our point is moot. I'm Joe and I'm here with my co-host Jeremy. Yo. And today we are going to be discussing was it the Stanford prison experiment? Yeah. Yes. Take it away, Jeremy. Well, yeah, no, I mean, the Stanford, what do you know about the Stanford prison experiment? Okay, so what I know about it is that there was an experiment back in the golden age of, uh, you know, psychological horror, you know, back when they used to, like, you know, lobotomize people and drill bits into people's <laughs> heads as part of medicine. Um, and there was this one guy who wanted to prove that people turned into monsters when they were prison guards, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was to explain why, like, decent, good men were able to, like, could be hired to do stuff in concentration camps. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, Philip Zimbardo. Huh? Philip Zimbardo was his name. For, for a second there, I thought just said Philip's embargo, as in, like, an embargo on the screwdriver. <laughs> um, there should be an embargo on his research but we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah yeah because from what i heard uh the whole experiment was like i mean he proved what he wanted to prove is that they all like all the people who are supposed to be guards turned psycho but he also didn't prove prove it because there was multiple things wrong with the experiment including that he was a part of it like he actually yeah like it, 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 like from what I've heard from people who are smarter than me, which there are a few of, he uh, apparently, like the experiment isn't, it is, it isn't worth Jack. It's like just an interesting thing that happened. It's not actually scientifically use, useful. Yeah, no, I think that's that's true. And and for the for the record, like as we're talking, though, my friend, my friend Donal, he he got me reading this book called Humankind, A Hopeful History. And the author of it, uh, Rutger uh, Bregman, he kind of makes this case, he, he talks about misconceptions like in society because the Stanford prison experiment and like, uh, you know, like, like Milgram's experiment, the, the shock experiment, you know, where people were shocking people in a room and he was trying to prove that the more removed you were from people the more willing they were to administer shocks to the person sitting in the, the room. And to me, that just seems like, yeah, duh. Well, there were problems with that one too, but, but I, I wanted to talk about Stanford. Both of them are really well known. Um, but I thought yeah. this would be a cool subject because of, for a bunch of reasons, but for, for, you know, full, full disclosure, I'm basically just following this chapter and I thought it'd be cool to talk about it. That's all. So, yeah, I mean, it started with Philip Zimbardo, right? And he, and he puts together this experiment. And in the experiment, they put people in a six by nine foot cell. And each cell only had one cot for each of the prisoners. Um, the prisoners were locked up for 24 hours a day. And the guards were separated. They had like lounges and, you know, nice things to eat. And they got plenty of rest. Um, Everybody in the experiment was being paid $15 a day, which is kind of the equivalent. It's almost, it's about $95 
today. Okay, so that's that's it's not well paid, but I mean, for an experiment, that's not bad, right? Well, for a college student, that's huge. Yeah, that's like a like. So imagine you could, you could get a lot of weed for that, and probably some books too. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. See, if you have five classes and you're doing this for fourteen days, you know, you 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 the first five days pays for your books, and then everything after that is drugs and alcohol. <laughs> How did the experiment work, by the way? Did they miss classes or like, did they just like, at the end, they just got in there and then they, they couldn't have done that because that would interrupt the experiment, right? They can't have classes while the experiment's going on. I don't know how their classes worked. Um, I know that they did have to be there 24 seven. Yeah, I mean, it, they would have to. It's not like you can just go to class and then you go to lunch and then you get put into the prison cell and you feel like you've been in prison all day. You know, it's, Yeah. I mean, it depends on the class, I guess. It could have been taking place. I know it did take place during school. And that, that's a detail that actually becomes important later. So it was while classes were going on. So it wasn't like summertime or something. So that's okay. Okay. So that's an important thing. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that like the other teachers, the, the students that were participating, the teachers of their classes knew and probably, you know, waived their attendance or whatever. And allowed them to make up work after the fact yeah i mean it's an ex- it's, it's an experiment right that's an interesting thing to be a part of if you're a teacher you're probably proud of the student for doing that right yeah especially the school like stanford stanford is any sort of big name school like that any ivy leaguer or any elite school any school that considers themselves elite at least they're gonna be all about progress and experimentation and innovative happenings i think Whenever I think of, whenever I hear Stanford, I think of that bridge that uh, Harald Harrode was killed on. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Of all the things to associate with that school. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, like, so the Stanford prison experiment, it's been held up for generations now. I mean, well, two generations. I mean, it's been held up for decades as, uh, how about half a century? That sounds impressive, right? Is that an impressive yeah. phrase? Half a century? So it's been held up for a long time as like one of the milestones of psychology and this thing that proves that people, people's personalities are really flexible. And if you take a good person and you put them in a bad environment, they become a bad person. You know, that the people are adaptable to their environment and, and so forth. Right. So this... This experiment is kind of held up as a legitimate thing. Oh, yeah. It's in textbooks. I mean, Hmm. over the last few years, uh, psychology and sociology textbooks have been less willing to put the experiment in their book because new research has emerged and more information has come out about this experiment. Because that kind of blows my mind because the only thing I've ever heard about the Stanford experiment was that it, it was such a stupid thing. And like the first time I heard about it was when I heard it was a stupid thing. And that's like 10, 15 years ago. I, I mean, was like a child. That's, that's about when it started to go. People started questioning it more and, and people found out further evidence. But I think, uh, you know, I think this type of thing probably wouldn't. Stanford prison experiment is definitely like a household 
thing in America, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, Pavlov and his dogs or the Skinner Bucks with those rats. Yes. Like everyone everyone kind of knows it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you, you asked like, the uh, American to list five psychological experiments, they would have those. It's the Joe Biden of psychological experiments. Everyone knows about it and everyone has a different opinion about it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I, I, there are a lot of people that still prop it up as legitimate. You know, I mean, I, like just over the election cycle, I was reading a lot more news articles, which I assume everybody was. But, well, you know, I saw it referenced multiple times about people saying, you know, drawing parallels between that and Stanley Milgram's experiment and saying like, oh, well, this is why people, you know, vote for Trump because, you know, trying to armchair diagnose millions of people and lump them all into one you know category, yeah. category. like this is I mean, why society is <laughs> you know i have the recipe i saw it in the document <laughs> right right here's some here's some like common knowledge things that have been on the internet for the last 20 years and i'm going to use it as evidence for yeah. <laughs> saying this is why 70 million americans vote the way they do yeah I saw a meme on Nine Gag with a lot of text, and now I know <laughs> psychology. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's still really popular, and yeah. I think that's part of why I wanted to do this podcast. Um, I mean, it's oh, crazy. A, right? I want to take a moment. I want to take a moment, even though no one's gonna probably listen to this episode for months now. <laughs> I do want to say congratulations to everyone who voted for Biden or wanted Biden to win, and my commiserations. For all the Trump people who don't get to see the Fourth Reich. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> no I, offense, I, I do want to at least, I want to extend my condolences to Trump voters. It, I mean, I'm glad he's yeah. he lost. I I consider. Yeah, Trump. I, I'm I'm thoroughly happy that he's lost. But <laughs> I'm not I'm not feeling gleeful about the fact that people who like him are sad now. That's not right. cool with me. Um, I remember I actually, how 2016 felt. It felt very bad. And yeah. It I actually I actually wrote actually wrote a whole thing on Facebook today. Like I never write posts because I'm kind of like just too bored with the, the whole idea of social. But I wrote a whole thing today about like after I just saw that last last new rules from Bill Maher, and I thought that was such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first thing I got as a reply, basically, my whole thing is like, it ends with, uh, let's roll things back a bit and become a little bit better at agreeing with to, uh, agreeing to disagree with each other. And let's also get way better at giving people the benefit of the doubt when we inevitably do end up arguing with each other. Hanlon's razor is a fantastic tool, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was sweet. Uh, and a friend of mine responded, nah, that was his <laughs> comment. I've like five paragraphs here of just trying to like be as diplomatic as possible and this guy <laughs> well i mean there there is a lot of emotional investment in this election i don't i don't yeah fault people for being like eh, screw this i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna ride the division out a little bit longer and, and i don't think that this is gonna be we're not gonna see no, i mean it's probably gonna get worse now but still though still though. anyway not not a this is not a political podcast let's go back to mo- uh the Zimbardo. Um, yeah. Zimbardo for president. Zimb- <laughs> no, I mean, 
<laughs> he, he built his career in a lie too. So, <laughs> so he would be qualified then. Well, the, the, it seems kind of like a, like a slam dunk study, right? Like by the end of the second day, I mean, he puts, he puts 24 people into this environment and you know, he, he, the 12 of them are guards, 12 of them are prisoners. And immediately it seems like things start unraveling. Like the prisoners start getting ornery because they don't want to live like this. And the guards are kind of like calling them names. And so the prisoners start like lashing out, you know, one couple prisoners barricade themselves in the cells and refuse to come out. And so then like the guards strip them naked and then hurl abuses and stuff. And they stop short of just like, just beating them, you know, so supposed to. <laughs> well then, then there's there's that super famous video footage of day two two of 14 where the, per, the, the one of the prisoners um his number was uh 8612 he he starts kicking at his cell and he's like screaming at the top of his lungs you know i'm burning inside jesus christ he's like i want out this is all fucked up you know i can't i can't take it anymore and he, he loses his mind Day two. Oh, day I mean, two. this is thirty-six hours. Day two. Day two. And this, this guy, this guy is not suited for an experiment. <laughs> so right. Well, and it, it, it or the experiment is just so horrific that it's eliciting this response right away, and so he gets let out, and he has, he has to go home. So they only have eleven prisoners left. And yeah, but I, I don't get it though. I don't get it. Like, uh, what did they start the abuse right off the bat? Well, they, the first thing they did when they brought him in was they chained him by the feet and, and stripped him naked. That's the first thing. That's the very, that's the first thing they did when they brought the prisoners in. Yes, yeah, so I already see a problem with the experiment right there. That's like I don't think any prison starts that way. <laughs> well, I mean, they they start you in chains. I don't know if they strip you naked. Yeah, I don't think they strip you naked and put you in chains like feet by feet, kind of like they're serving you as as those those stripped up ducks that hang in like Chinese restaurants. Right. Well, and I think it depends what type of prison you're at, too. I mean, are you at like Shawshank, you know, where you walk in and they, you know, um, is it like a public facility that has like petty offenders and other like fourth time misdemeanor people or whatever? Like, I mean, there's a, you know, there's different holding cells, there's different prisons. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, these are all college students doing this to each other. So I think like taking somebody you see in like your, 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 you know, Calc, Calc one class and, stripping them naked and then hurling insults at them from the very beginning. I could, I could also see. There's probably, there's probably some history there though. There's probably some history there. Like, <laughs> yeah, if if that's your first response. Uh, like you're just, I remember this guy from uh, fucking Xfil and uh, now I'm going to strip him naked. I'm going to beat him to a fucking pulp. I'm going to scream at him. I'm going to on his face while he's trying to recover from the beating. It's like, yeah, I mean, this guy cheated off your test, didn't he? <laughs> no, this is not a random guy. <laughs> Yo, he this was a random guy, probably would have been class. a less severe beating at least. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Philip Zimbardo, the guy who's overseeing this, he's looking at the, the scenario and he's like, oh my God, like all these, you know, he, he gets kind of, he, he's, he's running as the, the, he's the prison superintendent and he's trying to run, you know, he's, he wants to run a tight ship. He wants to have a nice, close knit, you know, a, a, a well oiled machine handling the guards. And he wants he wants it to 
he wants to elicit a response from the prisoners. You know, he wants the guards to maintain order. So if the, the prisoners respond, he wants the guards to feel like they can, you know, suppress that response. So he's giving, he's giving the prisoners or the guards more and more power over time. And he starts getting caught up in the illusion, you know, or at least according to his, to, you know, testimony afterward. Yeah, I mean, the guy running an experiment can't be in the experiment. That that should be obvious. Oh, that's the least of this this experiment's worries. Although that 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 probably is some sort of ethical concern. Um, but it does. Yeah, it's like how is how is he gonna how is he gonna how is he gonna even make like all proper observations if he's in it and he has a stake in what happens in it? <laughs> that's why they run double blind studies. You know, the double blind gives that yeah extra layer in between the researcher. And the people being researched. So, well, anyway, um, day five, he uh, Zimbardo recorded that you know the the prisoners had exhibited extreme emotional you know distress, you know their, their rages and tantrums and crying and anxiety and all, all these other all these other things. And they can't the, the the experiment gets shut down on day six, and they they didn't even get through half of their time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had oh. it really early, um, and and what the takeaway, of course, is that the guards became so monstrous that uh, that it, it proved that if people are give, are given power, they'll abuse it. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, I don't think that's necessary. I think that's a truism. I don't think it's necessarily always true. I don't. Yeah, I think it's. I, yeah, I, I think that. Um, well, and there's a big difference between like the leader of a country and a prison guard. Like, I'm still skeptical that everyone is is inherently good at heart. Um, I think everyone's inherently good, but I, I think I, I think it really depends on what your story is, essentially. Yeah. How damaged you are, you know, but like, obviously, genetically. Uh, there, there are a lot of benefits to being good, because mm. you know if you want to work together as as a group, you're stronger than the strongest individual is still weaker than any group. Well, and that's where the absolute so, power thing comes into play. Because so that's hurt, like the that's like the thing, right? Like if if you're if you're if you're not able to work together with people, you're not able to like you're not able to keep a group going. It's like that whole thing with. Uh, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, you know, like when religious people are trying to talk about moral. Yeah. We get our morals from the Ten Commandments. It's like, yeah, if we didn't have those morals innately, they would never have fucking been able to cross the desert and reach Mount Sinai before they all like slaughtered and raped each other. <laughs> well, you know? and, and I love that. I always love that argument where someone's like, well, without Jesus, you know, what's to stop you from killing someone? It's like, well, just being a good decent human being like yeah also why do you descend immediately to murder (laughs) if they think that way that makes me really uncomfortable with around them (laughs) it's like the only thing that keeps you from like jabbing your pencil in the back of my vertebrae is the fact that you think (laughs) there's a god who will punish you for it (laughs) i don't think i want to sit next to you in class well maybe atheism isn't for everyone maybe we don't want a zero like a, a fully atheistic society <laughs> I, I no no whenever i hear people talk like that i'm really happy that they got their fucking phony baloney god keeping them in charge <laughs> keeping them in check <laughs> yeah 
By the way, I was quoting The Simpsons. I'm not pissing on your religion, Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and and religious Norwegians. Yeah, yeah, all four of them. All four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Given your country's low population, that's still, that's still a significant percentage. It's a significant percentage. If those four were pissed at me, I would be nervous. Yeah. I yeah, still want like to have a whole state. state pissed at you particularly in like <laughs> US. Imagine if all of like Florida was like hatefully pissed at you, Jeremy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's the feeling I get if like there's three people in Bergen that's mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this the Stanford prison experiment. Back to the back to that. Um that was based on another study that happened in 1954. This is, you know, this is 20 years. Wait, when was when was Stanford? 70s. Uh, oh yeah, okay. The Stanford Prison Experiment took place in. Let me look it up real quick. 1971. Okay, so, I, it did feel like it was in the 50s because I felt like it was in that age where they did crazy shit to people for the sake of it. I, I mean, I think that's still true. <laughs> yeah. You know, when like they, they just they, they take like people who are like just mentally inept and they put them up along a wall and then they start spraying them with a hose. <laughs> that's called water therapy. That's called parenting, my friend. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but they call it therapy. They literally call that therapy. That yeah, that kind of prison uh horror movie kind of style thing where they just spray a guy up naked with a hose, right? Yeah. Yeah, they they, 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 they they legitimately consider that to be a form of therapy. I, I might disagree, but I'm not a therapist. No, no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go to a therapist if that's the kind of therapy they're offering. <laughs> well, in, uh, in, in 1954, there was another experiment similar to the Stanford Prison Experiment, and it was called the Robber's Cave Experiment. And the way this worked, it, was, it took place around Oklahoma City, there were a bunch of 12, they, they were all prepubescent, like 11 years, 10, 11, 12 years old. There were a dozen of them. And they were, uh, they were, they were all pretty average people. And what they were doing is they were going out to a summer camp at Robbers Cave State Park. And it's in Southeast Oklahoma. And th this place is actually kind of interesting because it was used by like a whole bunch of famous outlaws you know, like mm -hmm. Bell Star and Jesse James, uh, this massive, like, multi-hundred acre forest. And um, these, these kids were part of a scientific experiment um, underneath a, a psychologist named Muzaffar Sheriff. And Sheriff was trying to figure out how conflict in groups happened. Um, it, the... the the thing, the thing about uh, what he wanted to do is he wanted to have two groups of kids in a summer camp and kind of let, tell them that, you know, you can do whatever you want. And we just want to study rivalries between like self-identity. Like, the, you know, you give them their, their camper name and they adopt this identity. And then now you're going to pit them against somebody else with a different identity, even though they're all exactly, you know, the same age and whatever. I, like you just you just give them tribes and then you just see what the hell they do with it right right and so one tribe was called the rattlers and the other tribe was called the eagles and so so for the first week they uh 
just kind of played. You know, they ran around. They actually didn't know each about each other. So the first week was actually about bonding within their group and, and forming their identity. And then the second week, the boys were introduced to each other. And uh, so <laughs> the second week, apparently, you know, um, the, the, the first day of the second week, they were put together and they were told to play some games, you know. Yeah. Um, they did like, you know, capture the flag and tug of war. And they actually carried a standard around. They had their like insignia on a flag. And on the second day, the Eagles lost at a game of tug of, tug of war. So they took the Rattlers flag and burned it. And then that night, <laughs> that night. God, that's, that's, that's really like starting off big. Right. Hey, you're yeah. gonna burn your standard <laughs> the symbol of what you are who you are will be fucking lit aflame right it's not even pissing on the world. flag it's getting rid of it <laughs> yeah jesus christ <laughs> on the set uh at midnight that night the rattlers retaliated by stealing a whole bunch of they, they like broke into their cabins took a bunch of comic books and ripped up their curtains um so the Eagles came back They like, they woke up to this happening and they start putting rocks into their socks and started chasing the rattlers back to their cabins. And then like the camp counselors had to like step in and be like, Whoa, guys, no, you can't, you can't do this. Um, so at the end, like this goes on all week. They're, they're fighting and clashing and they're, they're doing like real boyhood summer camp, sort of like mischief stuff to each other. And like at the very end, the Eagles get, uh, they win like the ultimate competition or whatever. And they get these, these, these really nice pocket knives. So the Rattlers like stole them and they developed like taunts for each other. Like, you know, you know, yellow bellies and flyers and whatever, you know, whatever they called each other. And so, um, share it. <laughs> really? Yellow bellies and flyers. <laughs> I don't know if the flyers one is real. I found that on a website somewhere else. But... That's really like yellow bellies. That that that's that that one is time tested. That means like coward, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that works for the snake because they creep on their belly, right? And I guess flyers would be for the eagles. Which to be, I mean, if, if to flyers be fair, were a real like, insult, that'd be a great insult. Flyer is a real bad insult. That's that sounds like a compliment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would adopt that with with a badge of pride. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if you if you if you're called the rattlers, as in rattlesnakes, I'm guessing, not baby rattles. Like that's oh, it's so many easy insults for the rattlers. <laughs> Yellow be- bellies, you know, baby rattles, whatever the hell you want to call them, right? Yeah, uh, I I think they should just name themselves the flyers. Yeah, that would just well, be better. Even <laughs> that's, like, that's like that's like you're trying to diss someone with a cool name. You go like, "Hey, awesome dudes!" Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's a real bad insult. <laughs> oh man, you badasses! Screw you, badasses! <laughs> yeah, you rebels! You cool guy! It's it's kind of like like uh, when someone is like insulting an action hero in a '90s movie, and they're basically just throwing compliments. You know, <laughs> no. Like, you maverick, you don't follow the rules. You think you're so tough just because you're so beautiful and strong and oily. And, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it turns into Marilyn it's Monroe. It's not a good insult. Like, 
<laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. President. I'm already I'm already just like not rooting for the Rattlers. I don't believe in them. <laughs> These kids who mostly have died of old age by now. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, sure they earned be- it. <laughs> well, this study was also semi not as famous as stanford but it was it was semi-famous and it probably you know some aspect of it probably inspired stanford i to what degree i don't really know but uh there were problems with this one too um the, the experimenters uh the, the people the, the the who were posing as counselors they were the ones that came up with all the competitions and they were all competition-based games um in, in fact, one of the kids uh, on uh, when they when they first introduced the first few games, one of the kids said, "You know, hey, what if we do different things that could help us make friends with these guys? Like that way, if we do something that where we work together, you know, there won't be any grudges and nobody will get angry." <laughs> so the kid says this to the counselor. The counselor's like, "Well, no, all the games are already like pre-scheduled, and obviously we can't." deviate from the schedule so you know toss mm. toss that its idea idea on its face and they only played games with like real competitive games with clear winners and losers like no gray area so it's all like you know tug of war and baseball and you know whatever else um there were no and, and there were no consolation prizes so if you won you only got you only got something if you won you know which i guess yeah makes sense but the whole point is you have a whole team of boys all getting a prize and everybody else on the other side is meant to feel like a loser but that's the point um now one of the most interesting yeah, i mean, I mean though, isn't that isn't that just kind of like the concept of all sports in general though like well, team of yeah, so true but what the what the referees don't do is manipulate the game scores to keep the games competitive, so the kids are always trying. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a big diff. <laughs> they, uh, so that's and that's what they did. That these you know quote unquote camp counselors were manipulating the game scores to make sure that it was always like neck and neck. <laughs> so they were cheating oh, on behalf nice. of the losing team, whoever the losing team was which is profoundly interesting (laughs) and sheriff this sheriff guy had actually done the same experiment a year before now this is the best part in 1953 uh in new york the state of new york he it's like some small town in the middle of nowhere uh, there was another summer camp that he orchestrated and this time, so in the first experiment, he didn't really tell them, he didn't have anything set up for them. There weren't like any games, uh, specific games for them to play. There weren't, it, all, he, all he did was he gave them their identities. And so all the boys show up, they immediately meet each other. And uh, two days in, all the boys were friends. They're all playing games together and they're running through the woods and they're singing songs together and they like develop their own camp song and they're like getting really into it. Um, so on the third day of that one, the, the experimenters are like, well, 
uh, sheriff and his his assistants were like, well, this isn't, they're not, uh, they're all mingling. What we need to do yeah. is split them up. So he gave them not their- not tearing each other apart anymore. Right. <laughs> they, they gave them, they gave them, this time they called them the Panthers and the Pythons. And so what were they trying to prove with this experiment? Did they have like, uh, was it something they were trying to prove or were they just like kind of messing around with kids' brains for fun? Um, they were trying. They were trying to show. Uh, they were trying to show that people adhere to identity and will always will always retreat further into that identity when there is an opponent of some kind. You I know, mean, they're that's trying. Probably to... true for some people, but the whole fact that they had to actually actively try and get these kids to compete with each other should should prove that it isn't always the case. Well, and, and that's, that's one of the sticking points to like having hindsight bias on studies like these. That's, that's what makes it fun to look at because when you first hear about the studies, they're contextualized by these researchers who are saying like, hey, you know, this is, this is what we did. This is our methodology. But the, this methodology was done 70 years ago with far less oversight and with an ulterior goal going into the experiment. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel very scientific. It feels, uh, it just feels like someone is kind of fucking around. Yeah, right. Right. Well, and, and this is is like, this is, this is, uh, what this is to experiments is like when a guy does like a terrible prank on someone and says, it's a social experiment, bro. You know? It was like crappy. It's like, uh, yeah, I just pushed you in front of a car just to see how the driver would react to the trauma. You know, <laughs> what's slamming on the brakes and trying to a therapist for a year for manslaughter? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's anyway. Uh, mm. So I reject the scientific value of these experiments. Right. So, so in nineteen, so the very first experiment this guy sheriff runs. Uh, sheriff runs the nineteen fifty three experiment. Right. It's the first time he does this, and he. All the kids show up, they become friends. So they on day three, they split them up into the Panthers and the Pythons. And they're like, okay, we're gonna give them identity and we're gonna put them against each other. And uh, the Panthers said, you know what? Let's make t-shirts with an olive branch on it so we can extend peace to the Pythons. <laughs> and, <That's sweet. laughs> and to show ultimate meddling, uh, a, a few nights later, one of the experimenters, while everybody's out doing their activities, one, one of the lab assistants tears apart, a like rips apart a, t- a python tent, like knocks it over, and um, and assumed that the pythons would come back, look at it, and be like, oh, the panthers did this, let's go get them. Instead, all the boys came back, and the panthers saw this, this knockdown tent. And they're like, oh, hey, can we help you with that? And they all work together to put it back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's golden. You know, this second group of kids, they seemed, like a, they seemed like a real class act. This is the first group of kids. Oh. So the, third, the first they... one I talked about with the Rattlers and the Eagles, that was 1954. This is 1953. This is Sheriff's first attempt at a summer camp. Uh, okay, so they just got better at fucking with kids. Is basically it. Yes, this is my podcast flashback, which does not work without video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seriously, though. Seriously, though. 
like this feels like this just feels like the experimenters i'm using quote marks pretend you saw that uh, <laughs> this 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 feels like these experimenters are just doing this for their own amusement like i don't it's believe they're they, a certain they, result i don't think this i don't think this has anything to do with science at all i think this is as scientific as someone wanting to uh, hunt the most dangerous game on a deserted island you know <laughs> oh. i'm just going to see how mankind reacts under extreme pressure and you want to do this for you right yeah, yeah. if you're if you find yourself in a tree trying to snipe a, a human being i think what you, i think you have gone wrong <laughs> yeah exactly exactly when you start tearing down some kids tent to try and get make them fight each other to prove that kids all want to fight each other inherently uh, you've just fucked up right yeah um, you're just torturing children what yeah you you're you're literally just fucking with kids you're it's like it's like if lost the guy granted i've never seen past the first seasons so i don't know maybe this is actually what happened but uh is as if you have the island of lost with all the people from the plane there yeah and as it turns out there was a guy who intentionally crashed the plane there and then he started like taking away their medicine and rations throughout the, the, the their time there yes. just to see what he can do you know <laughs> it's not an experiment it's a reality show yeah it, 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 it echoes reality TV and reality TV reinforces Paradise Hotel or Big Brother basically but for kids <laughs> well it's it's, it echoes these experiments in the sense that you assume that people are going to get on an island and fight. But what is happening is that when cameras are on you, people perform, right? Like these oh, yeah. researchers they, they have... perform, but they do also, they do also literally make it like whenever people have are, are a little too comfortable with each other on like Paradise Hotel or some kind of show like that, right? Yeah. They, they do like add challenges or suddenly mix things up and say like this those guys can't be a couple anymore because they're too harmonious with each other so the judge just sent a letter that says they have to switch with those people and those people are real bitches to deal with you know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and and there's there, i think there's some similarity between being on a reality show and having a camera on you and and having people edit you have the ed- you have the editors like clipping out video so if someone's crying you keep that but if they you know, yeah. at the end, if you have the bad, the guy that's supposed to be the quote unquote bad guy and he's being framed as the bad guy because they all get, you know, roles, you know, they all get mm-hmm. stereotyped into different personality categories. Yeah. If, if Make the, it easier the, for the dummies who watch it to follow. Right. So if the bad guy then says, you know, I'd like to thank all my co-stars and it was a great time or whatever, they'll cut that out because, you know, they don't want that. And, and when you have researchers, you know, that sheriff guy, he does mention this 1953 where all the boys were helping out. He mentions it and he just has a little footnote where he says he conducted a previous summer camp experiment that was suspended due to various difficulties and unfavorable conditions. And that's all he says. He just completely take, cuts off that research and just, talk, just kind of tosses it out the window because it didn't do what it wanted to. And <laughs> when they, the, the tent thing didn't work, they tried they they you know the lab assistants didn't say well let's see what the boys do further and record that and write down notes instead what they did was they escalated they did like an entire nighttime raid where they like broke their toys and stuff like one kid's ukulele got smashed and um they were hoping 
they were, you know, this time they raided the Panthers and they were, they were hoping like, you know, maybe the Pythons would get upset. And one of the kids actually like looked at one of the lab assistants and said, he, you know, maybe you just wanted to see what our reactions were. I think you did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bright, bright child. Right. And so, oh. so the, and then you, there's vocal recordings of Sheriff, you know, kind of at night, he's kind of like ruminating on what's going wrong. And he's like getting drunk, like walk, like pacing his study, trying to dream up new ways to torture these kids. And it's just like, it's just like watching an episode of The Good Place, kind of. I mean, yeah. it's the same <laughs> kind of like moral, you know, bomb calorimeter where you're just sitting there with like this closed system building pressure. <laughs> so. God, Jesus Christ. This is, this, it, it just... The level of unprofessionalism annoys me, but the fact that I know that they were literally just basically fucking with kids pisses me off even more. Yeah. Well, and then... there's no there's no good reason for it. You're just a bully to someone who's much smaller than you. Right. Why don't you just go to the park and push a kid into the water repeatedly? <laughs> it's the same fucking scientific value. You're just doing it for your own amusement. <laughs> exactly. And. You know, it, it, Sheriff didn't look at his 1953 experiment and be like, well, we mixed the boys and all they did was work together and start blaming us. You know, obviously we, we've learned something. He just assumed, well, we didn't manipulate it enough. So then 1954 comes <laughs> along and you remember he immediately starts them. So they have a whole week to bond. And then when they meet, they play only highly aggressive competitive games because so they have no chance to do to, to be together. in any other light and even then the you know even then the experiment doesn't go totally successful <laughs> right that, that, that is so annoying to me that's so annoying to me right like remember like the eagles were saying like why don't you why don't we play games where nobody gets mad and nobody's like holds grudges for the rest of the camp session because the these are kids at camp they don't they just want to have a nice camp experience how the how the hell are these kids so bright though these kids are bright as hell those adults are dumb as shit <laughs> well <laughs> i think it's just i think they're just i think if you show up for camp you're expecting us you know certain things and if the adults seem really highly focused on something I, I imagine some of the brighter kids will start picking up on it over time you know I don't know. I went to I went to a crazy summer camp once. It was a uh, it was a Bible camp, and I had just come back from like a, a two week stint in like southwestern Ohio. My grandma paid for me to like go down there, and it was all like you know you go camping, you go on this long hike on a, you know middle of the week, and you spend the night out there. And there were like there was a it was like a two hundred person game of capture the flag. Like it was a really fun camp. Two weeks later, I go to this Bible camp, and it's highly religious. Um, it takes place in a trailer park. And Classy. the thing to understand about this is like, there was this road and this giant oval and all the trailers were outside. of, the <clears> road. <throat> And it was, it was like a mix between, <sighs> it was like kind of like a senior facility because it was all older people um, on, on assisted living. And in the middle of the road, this oval were two large buildings they were like community centers that were used for us to sleep in so they would just like put like 10 cots in a room and they were like a whole bunch of rooms and then 
they split up the boys and the girls and then if, then there were uh there was a church there was like an indoor there was like an, there was a church but then there was like an outdoor little theater you would sit in and it was uh it was it was two hours of mass three times a day um it was in the middle of july but you couldn't wear shorts so it was pants all day long because the you know the elderly people said shorts on kids especially teenagers made them uncomfortable and they didn't want any impure thoughts so <laughs> <laughs> we weren't allowed to wear shorts oh that's a that's a scary scary people running the camp in my opinion yeah and i'm very uncomfortable watching shorts on kids it gives me impure <laughs> thoughts it's like no you have someone else who could do this job anyone anyone <laughs> literally anyone <laughs> then for meals they would have they would have meal time all the seniors would line up and we would line up at the same time, but we had to wait for them to get their food first. So you'd be standing there for up, you know, up to like 45 minutes, sometimes an hour while the, you know, the seniors got their food. And if they got seconds, they were allowed to like cut you and stuff, which that's they, fine. Like, I don't mind being, I don't mind being cut for a senior wanting seconds, but why didn't they just have us line up after the seniors were done? Like stagger it, you know? This, <laughs> uh, this sounds like another version of that fucking summer camp experiment. That's what I thought of it. Like it was, it was a yeah. crazy experiment, experience. And like the... They say it's an experiment, but they just want to fuck with some kids. <laughs> I, I think this was just to screw with us. They, they, yeah. uh, I went home. I got a sinus infection partway through it. And I went home early and they're like, well, you know, why are you like, you know, why are you leaving? I was like, well, because I, you know, my, I had hurt. Like I, I had like really bad headaches from the sinus infection. My nose was oh, like, yeah, like, when like, you was, like infected sinuses. If you even like try to bend over to pick up something, it's like your whole head is in a pressure fucking chamber. Yeah. It hurt real bad. Oh, but, the, but they asked me like, did you have a fun time? I said, no, I had, I had a terrible time. And they're like, why? I was like, well, it's it's 95 degrees like you know it was it's really hot and i can't wear shorts like why am i wearing jeans in the summertime like why do we have you know i was like i understand that church is important but you know i wasn't so i, I wasn't this eloquent i'm barely eloquent now but i was less so then I, you know i said six hours is a lot to to be sitting in church every single day you know two seems normal and like we weren't allowed to play games we, we had to go back to our buildings at like eight o'clock and yeah, our time was 10 30 people don't really understand fun right we we weren't allowed to have like board games we weren't allowed to have like toys all, all we could bring books and that was it so we'd like go back to the room anyone who uses the like the phrase impure thoughts unironically is not going to be a fun person <laughs> nothing you do with them is going to be fun that whole that whole trip was just i'm just i'm gonna say it, it was god awful it was <laughs> uh, but it, anyway so back <laughs> i was reading this and it reminded me of that camp which i <laughs> I, I gotta say though i just thought about something because this this experiment with the summer camp that was like in 53 right 53 and 54 how old were those kids uh 10 11 12 mostly 11 mostly 11 okay so those kids, those kids are basically, those kids were basically baby boomers. Yeah. And the people running the experiment would have been like the, the, the greatest generation, right? Allegedly. 
Allegedly, yeah, allegedly after this experiment. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that yeah, they, they, they picked up stuff. some. They picked up some techniques while overseas. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm thinking is like, because right now, when you think of baby boomers, generally because of social media, right? Mm-hmm. You usually think of them as kind of like heartless bastards. But these kids didn't seem that heartless. They don't have a lot of heart. Well, I'm sure there was plenty of time for their hearts to be shaped. And I, I don't think all baby boomers, you know, every, everybody, I think every generation gets unfair labels, but I also don't discount that generationally there are certain behaviors that define them. Like, you know, some stereotypes are true for a reason, right? So you may have a predominance of a trait, but that doesn't mean everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, stereotypes do, stereotypes end up where they are because they are like you can't you can't invent the stereotype it has to happen many times for for people to come to it naturally yeah Um, well and and, you know hitler was a baby at some point yeah i took it to hitler whatever get get off it but you know hitler was a baby at some point and i'm sure his mother thought he was adorable for his babyhood at least i don't know what he's like as a child but i don't know i I think he would have looked like, like a funny child with that mustache (laughs) <laughs> he comes out with the mustache <laughs> I can't imagine the man without the mustache so the baby has a mustache <laughs> he's, already, he's already got his party's like insignia tattooed on his chest <laughs> yeah yeah he's got the mustache he's got the comb over he's got the the little fucking red band around his uh, bicep yeah he's got the whole thing it's, it's, a, it's an adorable baby that I want to keep far away from, from uh, politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway. Actually, maybe she, maybe that's what she, the mother tried. You know, maybe she was like, "Come on, little Adolf. You know, let's let's get you into art school. Yeah, because he was an angry boy or something. So I was like, yeah, let's keep you out of uh, let's keep you out of the democratic process. You know. <laughs> and it's just, uh, hey, yeah, what about arts? Yeah, yeah. If you're an artist, you're not going to be interested in politics at all. You're just going to be sitting around painting and, you know, drinking. Yeah, she's all like day. looking up mail order brides, you know, in the classifieds or whatever. He's like, I need to find him a wife, someone that'll, you know, his cousin will do. Keep keep him fat and happy. <laughs> gotta gotta get him off the streets. Yeah, running <laughs> with the wrong crowd. <laughs> Maybe that's how they tried to calm down Trump by just getting some send some wipes from the mail. <laughs> didn't fix anything. I mean, you know, I'm I'm still convinced Melania is a Russian spy. Whatever. <laughs> She's Slovenian. You're racist. Well, yeah, but the, she can still be employed by the Russians. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, Trump is so. <laughs> I mean, remember the whole narrative is that Putin controls Trump, so it. it she was born in Slovenia and she's Slovenian, but she's a Russian spy. I, I, I can't imagine Melania as a honeypot for Trump because she doesn't seem to like him very much. <laughs> I feel well, like if she was a spy, she would be she would be faking some more emotions. Well, I mean, I also feel like he's not very bright and, and she probably doesn't try very hard. That's true. That's true. Maybe she's the one that one like red sparrow spy who doesn't have to actually give a shit. Maybe maybe it's like all she has to do is say his name. You know, it's like Boston Legal where like Shirley Schmidt's are saying Denny Crane and he's like getting all excited because it's, oh. like, it's his own name. Like Melania just lists, like leans in and whispers in his ear, Donald. 
Donald. Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Uh, real quick, we have a word from our sponsor. Um, today's episode is brought by Correlation Causation Pizza. We have the healthiest pizza of all time. 100% who eat pizza at competing pizza brands die. That's right. If you eat anything other than Correlation Causation Pizza, your survival rate is zero. Eat Correlation Causation Pizza. It's the only pizza to guarantee the rising sun. <laughs> oh, that's final line. Oh, that, that did me. <laughs> they're great. You know, they're great. Mar- the, the, the marketing team they have over there must be awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're fearless, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no holds barred. Um, so back to, back to, I'm going to leave Sheriff, but back to like uh, Philip Zimbardo and the Stanford prison experiment. It, it turns out that it was more manufactured than those summer camps. Like you got to remember like how Zimbardo sold this because he actually appeared before Congress. He testified on behalf of his own experiment because he, to, to say that, 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 uh, in front of congress he said that the guards for his experiment yeah they made up their own rules for maintaining law order and respect in other words the guards came up with all the torture all the punishments all the everything um he also you know said for decades that he had no hand in this experiment that he he, you know hands off he was was the warden (laughs) he was there to observe warden well he said that he was there to observe and he just let everybody else interact, you know. Yeah, I've seen the Shawshank Redemption. A bad warden can do a lot of damage. <laughs> well, and, and his argument was that he didn't have any part of that. He was, he let, he just kind of, you know, it, it was like those warehouse offices where they're, 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 you know, two stories up and like looking down at what everybody's doing. Like that was how he sold it was, I didn't intermingle with these guys, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the overseer at Vault Tech doesn't have anything to do with experiments either. Right, right. So testimony, sworn testimony. Guards made it all up. I just watched, um, you know, whatever. And however, this is, this is what he told the guards, word for word. Uh, the, the, these were the instructions that he gave. He got all the guards in the room the Saturday before the experiment started. And this is, this is what he told them. We need to create a, or we can create a sense of frustration. We can create fear in them. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. They're going to be wearing uniforms and at no time will any guards call them by name. They will have numbers and be called only by their numbers. In general, what all this should create in them is a sense of powerlessness. So a couple things he's doing here. One, He's creating an us versus them. He's saying we, and he's putting himself on the side of the we. In other words, he's treating his guards like they're his lab partners, right? Like they're his lab assistants. And and throughout the experiment, they behaved like it. And the other thing he's doing is he's telling them how the prisoners should feel and that you should do things to make this happen. You know? Yeah, he he can't possibly say that he's got nothing to do with nothing. Right. And and they also furthermore the 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 guards they didn't come up with the idea to address the prisoners by numbers 
or bring in sunglasses and wear them indoors or play sadistic games or make them feel powerless. They were told to do that before it even started. And so there, there's a there's a there's a term called demand characteristics, and these are behaviors that subjects exhibit if they're able to guess at the aim of a study. Um, it, it's it's what demand characteristics like if you make demands of things to bring certain characteristics out. What you're doing is you're turning it into theater. You know, it's a it's a yeah. it's a production now because. He's, it's, it's just for his amusement. He's informing their roles. All that was supposed to inform their role was the idea that they were guards and the prisoners were supposed to know they were prisoners. That's it. But instead, they have these ideas given to them. Um, and and the, the, these demand characteristics, they were everywhere. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just the, sat the, the Saturday before. And, and by giving them extra time, by giving the guards time, it gave them time to think about it. One student said, I set out by the time, you know, the prisoners were quote unquote arrested, he already had a plan in mind. So I, I, I had ways to force action, to force things to happen. So the researchers would have something to worth work with. Quote, after all, what could they possibly learn from guys sitting around like it was a country club? You know, in other words, they had, <laughs> they, they had a motive to make the experiment interesting from the get go. And they had time. Yeah, they had they had these demand characteristics to, to to put pressure on them to elicit certain responses, and they had time to plan it out beforehand, before it even got there. Um, which throws the the you know the objective observational aspect of the the experiment like right out the window. Um. <clears throat> It wasn't even, now the most, one of the, another interesting aspect of this is it wasn't Zimbardo who thought of the experiment, you know, because he's been credited for making one of the most genius, you know, experiments of all time. It was actually an undergraduate. Um, he had this, he had this, Zimbardo had this kid in his class named David Jaff. And Zimbardo had assigned um, this, this thing, uh, some some assignment. I don't know what the prompt was, but what David Jaff did was basically create the the Stanford Prison Experiment in his dorm room. Um, he got some friends together and they carried out a, a, a trial experiment with six guards and six inmates. and And David Jaff made himself the warden. And the guards got together and they thought of ways to intentionally turn the experiment into, you know, because it's, it's an undergrad, he's not really doing this objectively. Um, the guards came yeah. up with rules like the prisoners must address each other by number only. The prisoners must always address the warden as Mr. Chief Correctional Officer. Um, so they, they set up, David Jaff's experiment set up all of the, you know, anonymous like numbers, you know, number assignments to the prisoners and set up like the, the social hierarchy that would be carried into the full experiment. Um, everybody got like real into it and it was kind of more like play acting. So do they have these kind of rules in real prisons too. Like you have to address the warden by this and this title and you, you got to, yeah. Do they have these kind of like behavioral, behavioral fucking, uh, rules in real prisons too, like in, in the U S 
I imagine there's some, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never, I, I haven't been to a 1971 American prison, but I'm assuming in that kind of environment that there would be some sort of hierarchy. I don't know if it's like you, you the, 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 you know, the, the, the warden has to be called a certain thing or whatever, but. No, cause it's like, I'm, I'm wondering if that, if, if they're doing stuff like this in real prisons to uh, like the guards to amuse themselves or something, hmm. if they're just making their own job, basically harm, making the rehabilitation of the prisoners less likely through like similar behavior. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's, that's been proven in countless studies to date. Like, you know, if you treat people like animals and you don't give them the, the tools they need to survive on the outside and you, oppress them and you you give out undue punishments and uh it, it results in people acting out yeah. feeling like the system is abandoning them feeling like rehabilitation is a joke uh you know like a, a solitary confinement it gives a lot of people ptsd and other you know mental solitary trauma. confinement that that seems like something that's against like the geneva convention i'll be honest <laughs> Yeah, being locked in a in a padded room just just for days, just been stuck there with your own thoughts, like that's you. Are, that's they, are, they, do, are they still allowed to do that like today? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Is that actually a thing that happens though? Yeah, like like. I mean, I mean, like you know how like you have some laws that allow like allow you to marry children and shit like that, but it doesn't actually happen. Do they actually have prisons where this? They actually do this like it's not just allowed but they actually do it oh of course all the time all the time yeah yeah solitary confinement's a thing like it's a I thought it was just in the movies no no jesus christ because <laughs> that's right. a very fucked up thing to do to a person right it is and 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 it, it leads to permanent mental trauma and very yeah ways. that's like that, that, that's that's like just having the guards rape prisoners for fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know about that, but it, well, it is it is a type I of mean, thing it, that it's, cause, it's causing you fucking like it's causing you fucking lifelong psychological damage, isn't it? Okay. I mean, if sure, if that if that's your definition, then yes, they're both. I mean, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I I'm not going to define it because uh, yeah, that, that that that's tasteless, but. Like I think the the main I get the, main, the gist of what the you're main, saying. The main thing that makes rape more heinous in that situation, I think, is because we deem it more heinous. You know? But both so of them. I think about the consequences for the person. Yeah. Uh, locking them in a room like that. That's it's pretty it's a pretty horrible thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you gotta be a you gotta be a certain level of scumbag to 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 be able to do that to another human being like for days not just like i'm pissed my kids so i'm throwing them into their room for an hour you know you're like for days you don't get to see other humans for days right no window i'm gonna look um that's monstrous actually there's statistics on something like that uh solitary confinement by the numbers uh so around eighty thousand people are in solitary are are in solitary confinement in the U.S. in the, in a U.S. prison at any given moment. Jesus Christ. 
5% of all male prisoners wind up in solitary and 2% of all female prisoners. Oh, um, fuck. I don't want to hear about this. This is too good. Of course, you know, you knew this, this was coming. Really, really, really. A much larger percentage of people who enter solitary confinement are black. Um, yeah. Okay. We won't, we won't go in, we won't go down this road, but yes, solitary confinement is very much. A yeah, this is great. This is, this is a really grim topic. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we are way out of our depth discussing shit like this. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's not here. Let's go back to, let's go to back to Zimbardo. So Zimbardo has this undergraduate student, David Jaff, that comes up to him and says, Hey, got my friends together in a dorm room. Uh, we played guard and prisoner and here's a couple of things we did. And you know, I thought it was pretty cool. And his professor goes, you know what? Let's recreate that. We're just going to make, we're just going to step up the, the intensity. So he takes David Jaff under his wing and says, I want you to consult me on this. Tell me what you did. And you're going to help me run this experiment. And, you know, David Jaff said, you know, he was asked to give Zimbardo tactics, you know, based on my previous experience as a master sadist. Um, so all so here here's a few of the things that Jaff had. Uh, there were 17 rules that were given to the guards. And out of those 17, this this undergraduate, mind you, he's like you know 19, 20 years old. He's not he's not even a graduate assistant. He's not even, you know, he's just this kid. I mean, obviously a, a fairly bright kid, but he came up with 11 of the 17 rules. Um, it was, you know, chaining the, the prisoners at the ankle when they first show up, stripping the inmates naked, um, using, uh, forcing them to strip naked and stand around for 15 minutes as a punishment. Those were all thought of by this, by this Jaff character. Um, and it wasn't just like a briefing, like where, you know, 15 minutes, here's your worksheet. These are things you should look over. Jaff spent six straight hours instructing the guards on what their role was. Like they talked about, they brainstormed what he called Sado creative ideas. <laughs> so, so he's labeling it as a form of sadism before, and he's, he's, he's getting the guards all amped up and having them brainstorm ideas before they even show up to the prison. And meanwhile, remember Zimbardo would spend the next 40, 50 years telling everybody that the, that the guards just, you know, they sort of fell into this role and started coming up with things creatively as the experiment unfolded. So these are just blatant lies he told for years and years. Um, they, they, they designed it so the prisoners would, their bedtime was 2.30 in the morning and they were woken up aggressively at six in the morning. So they only got a few hours of sleep to keep them, you know, sleep deprived and, and exhausted. Um, and uh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a stupid guy. <laughs> just a stupid guy. This is not a scientist. This is just a bully with a fucking clipboard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most celebrated, you know, psychologists of all time was, was a nut job. And, you know, Sado creative. I'm sorry. He's a Sado creative. That's my new. A Sado creative. <laughs> That's like the political, politically correct term for a psycho. <laughs> well and, and the one of the uh, one of the most interesting things to me was that even though everybody remembers the stanford prison experiment for what it did to the guards zimbardo wasn't even studying the guards he was actually trying to study the prisoners what he wanted to do was subject them to enormous amounts of pressure 
and just study what the reaction was. He wanted to see, you know, would they get tired? Would they hold a riot? Would they get upset? Would they, you know, whatever, would they be frustrated? Um, and the guards saw themselves as his research assistants because Zimbardo actually treated them like they were, you know, they, they had, uh, they, they had they had special rights. They talked to Zimbardo as the experiment unfolded. They brainstormed ideas on the side. And it wasn't until after the experiment was finished that Zimbardo molded the lesson, the lesson of the experiment and what the experiment was trying to do. He just kind of morphed those after the fact and said, now, you know what? This is what the experiment was about. <laughs> and, and it was a resounding success. <laughs> oh, douchebag. and the thing is is it wasn't even wholly successful because a lot of the guards wouldn't participate in the you know the torture uh one of one of the guards they they have transcripts of david jaff talking to one of the guards and this was just a couple days into the experiment you know jaff jaff is saying generally you've been kind of you've been kind of in the background we want you to get active and involved because the guards have to know that every guard around here is going to be what we call a tough guard. And so far, and Marcus goes, well, I'm not too tough. Yeah, well, you have to try to get it in you. I don't know about that. Jeff, see, the thing is what I mean by tough, you know, you have to be uh, firm. You have to be in the action and uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's really important for the workings of the experiment. That you sodomize the prisoner. <laughs> Marcus, excuse me. I'm sorry. If it, I really need you to, I really need you to sodomize one of these prisoners, Jeff. For the for the okay. good, get in the action. It's it's, it's for it's it's it's, it's uh, I'm I'm going through an experimental. Uh, uh, I mean I mean I, I need I need I need you to partake in the experiment. Right, Jeff. It's important to the it's important to the results that you do what we say the results are going to be. Right. Yeah, <laughs> That's what he's yeah. telling him. And Marcus says and, the most uh, damning thing of all at the end. He says, excuse me, I'm sorry. If it was entirely up to me, I wouldn't do anything. I would just let it cool off and I'd deal with the prisoner later with a more reasonable, you know. So <laughs> the whole point was to let the guard give the guards their agency and let them adapt to their role. This guy's telling him what he would do. And Jaff is saying, now I'm sorry, it's important to the results of the experiment that we do, that you do what we tell you. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just fuming right now. I'm really annoyed by this guy. I'm annoyed that this guy has gotten any fucking acclaim. <laughs> you want to hear something better? Remember, uh, <laughs> Prisoner 8612, you know, the, the super, like one of the, the most famous video clip of this experiment, the, the guy who stood up and yelled, I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. He was, his name was Douglas Corpy. And uh, Douglas said the whole breakdown was fake. He, he, he play acted it from start to finish. And, and in fact, yeah. And, and he even told Zimbardo. And when he told Zimbardo, Zimbardo ignored him. Just, just completely walk, you know, just walked away from, him, ignored him, and uh, he told a documentary filmmaker who did a documentary on this, and then the the documentary guy edited him out of the film, just just didn't include. Hey, even the documentary guy was in on the scam. <laughs> well, so Douglas Corby said 
you know, he, he actually got his PhD in psychology later and he thought the experiment was kind of neat. He said, the first day was really fun. I got to yell and scream and act all hysterical. I, get, I got to act like a prisoner or how I thought a prisoner should be. I was being a good employee. It was a great time. And being a good employee. <laughs> well, and here's the reason that he was pulled out of the experiment. He wanted to study because classes were on. Okay. And yeah. he thought he would be able to study all day and then, you know, act like a prisoner when he was supposed to act, but he wasn't allowed to have his textbook notes to study inside the jail cell. So he's like, well, okay, I don't want to do this anymore then. Cause they didn't tell him until after he had started the experiment that he couldn't study. And they're like, well, sorry, you're in the experiment. Um, so then he like said, can you let me go home? And they said, no. What Zimbardo told him is that only people that have extreme physical or mental problems will be able to go home. And, and Corpy's like, well, you know what? I got, you know, I got stuff to study for. I'd rather do my schoolwork. So I'm just going to put on a show. <laughs> also, can they legally keep him in a little cage anyway? Oh, I have no idea. It doesn't sound like anything else he's doing is ethical in terms of uh, research. Yeah, but I'm not like, fuck ethics. I'm talking legally. Like, at some point, isn't this guy literally just a kidnapper? <laughs> you know, it's the 70s. They're all on acid, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, clearly. <laughs> so, Corby first said that he had a stomach ache. And they're like, oh, it's not serious enough. Your stomach ache doesn't count. He's like, all right, fine. And he, then he had his mental breakdown. And they filmed it. And they're like, okay, this is great footage. Off you go. <laughs> so they finally let him go when he put on a big, you know, threw his big oh. tantrum for the camera. So they could use it as evidence dude, that the experiment dude, was working. These, these experiments, they're just reality TV for like one guy. Right, right. It's just... I want to create a reality TV show for me. And I also want people to adore me for it. <laughs> yeah. And the best part about this is it gets, it, there's just, it gets a little bit better. So years after the Stanford, 30 years later, the BBC had the show uh, that where they wanted to recreate the Stanford prison experiment and do it, do it as like a kind of a, a, Truman Show type thing where everybody could watch the feed. And they had uh, two, two guys, two psychologists, both doctors of psychology. And the reason, I mean, it, it wasn't replicated. Nobody, people hadn't tried to replicate the results, which gave, because the Stanford prison experiment was considered so unethical and so crazy that putting people through that there was no justif there wasn't enough justification to put people through that just to validate the results. So uh, the Stanford prison experiment enjoyed decades of immunity. Like people are just like, well, it's gotta be true and it's so evil, we can't redo it. So this is gonna have to remain as proof indefinitely. So, oh, that's annoying. so these two guys, Alexander Haslam and, and, and Steven Riker uh, decided to you know, redo it and the BBC uh, greenlit it. And there were two conditions. One, the, doc, the, 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 the psychologist had full control over the study. And two, it would be overseen by an ethics committee. And like, you know, if it got out of hand or if, if the results were, or if the, the methodology was being tampered with in any way, the ethics committee had the power to step in and deal with it. Um, and it was, it was, you know, people started freaking out because they're like, was this like, 
the end of reality television. It's like reality television doing something, recreating something so awful that you couldn't possibly, you know. What happened though, is it just was really boring. Nothing, like the, the, the difference between, between the Stanford experiment and this show called The Experiment, well, they're British, whatever. So they called it The Experiment. And uh, <laughs> the difference was in the, ex, in the experiments experiment, they didn't give any directive to the guards. They just said, okay, you guys are guards, you guys are prisoners, go in the prison and behave like you're in a prison. And it, it was just insanely boring. So the guards started just sitting around doing nothing. In, in one of the first, the, the first episode of the show, one of the guards is like, yeah, I'd rather be a prisoner, I think. It looks like they're having more fun. And <laughs> on, the second, on the second day, the guards started sharing their food with the prisoners to, to as they put it, increase morale within the prison. And then- I mean, that, that would do it. Right, right. On the fourth day, they started arguing. You know, one of the prisoners and the guards started arguing, and a guard came in. Another guard came up to the prisoner and said, "Hey, hey, hey! You know what? Just calm down. If we can get to the end of this, let's just go to the pub and have a drink together. You know, let's discuss this like human beings." He said. <laughs> On day five, the prisoners decided to set up a democracy where everybody could vote on how the prison would be run for the rest of the experiment. So they went over to the guards room. They, they started smoking and having drinks. The guards joined them. And on day seven, the prison was transformed into an in-house commune. And by the time this experiment was like over- It doesn't feel like there was a prison anymore if there's a democracy involved. No, 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 they set up a democracy and turned it into a commune. And like a couple of the guards are like, hey guys, should we be doing the, the prison thing? They were just shrugged them off. They're like, no, no, we're not doing that. And, and the rest of the show is basically just people sitting around like smoking cigars on a sofa. Having a good time. Having a good time. I think, I think, uh, I think Philip's embargo would have, uh, would have uh, rolled around in his grave. I don't know if he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still alive because he, he has interviews from 2018. Um, wow. I mean, he, he must be disgraced by this time. Here's oh no he is still very much alive yeah he's eighty seven years old no he's not and the thing is he's actually arrogant about it because a journalist asked him you know after the BBC prison study and and some of the uh, the the fact that his uh, David his undergraduate you know guy his sado creationist when people started asking Zimbardo about all this. He said, uh, people can say, he, he absolutely did not care. People can say whatever they want about it. It's the most famous study in the history of psychology at this point. There's no study that people talk about 50 years later. Ordinary people know about it. It's got a life of its own now. I'm not gonna defend it anymore. The defense is its longevity. That's defense for a TV show, not a psychological experiment. Validity. Right. This is science. This is supposed to be science, right? Like, this guy is this guy related to the president? Because <laughs> it feels a little, it feels a little familiar. This kind of shit. Right. He's basically saying it's so popular. People were duped for so long. Well, you know, screw everybody. I don't care if it's ethical or scientific or the conclusions are are good. I just care that validity. it's popular. 
and I have a legacy. You know. Yeah. Okay. You have a legacy. You have a legacy as a hack. Right. And and the thing is, he doesn't even care that fifty, a hundred years from now, other psychologists are going to view him. They're going to hold him up as an example of bad science. They're going to say this is what happens when you do everything wrong. And I want someone while he's still alive. I want someone to just call him out and say, "Yeah, you're going to be remembered as a hack and a fraud." He doesn't even care. Like he must care if someone were to say it that directly. I think people are just too polite because because of his like status or something maybe maybe i think if, if someone said you will be remembered as a hack and a failure i think people i think i think he would care i don't know then would he look at this journalist and be like you know how many years of experience you have did you define your field like are you a household name i mean that's it, yeah but it's like yeah yeah okay fine you're a great celebrity but you're not a scientist <laughs> right. you know? that's He's an a easy combat. response He's a con man. He, he, he rode an experiment that he dreamed. He didn't even make it up. He didn't, he didn't yeah. even make up the experiment. And he rode the coattails of one of his undergraduate students' bad ideas, made it a worse idea. I mean, I guess the idea by itself isn't bad, right? It's like, well, let's, let's see what people do in this and when we subject them to this environment. But he orchestrated all of the behaviors and then, you know, said, well, Regardless of my input, these are the results. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a stupid guy. <laughs> and that's a stupid guy. That is the Stanford prison experiment. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. This was this was educational and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very annoyed right now. I'm pissy. <laughs> sitting here thinking like this douchebag. Those other douchebags of the kids. <laughs> a bunch of douchebags. No wonder people don't like psychologists. <laughs> this is why everyone hates moral philosophers. <laughs> yeah. Dummies. Well, and now you can think of this anytime somebody brings this up. They're like, oh man, have you ever heard of the Stanford prison experiment? You're like, I have. And let me let me riddle you with a few things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have. Have you also uh, like have you heard of the Stanford prison? See last season of Paradise Hotel. <laughs> well, and and to be fair, scientifically valid. <laughs> to be fair, I only read this a couple of days ago, so it's not like I spent my entire life believing it too, because it's a, just pop culture. You know, it's it's at this point, it's kind of accepted as fact, and it's passed around as evidence. And up to being thirty four years old, I believe the exact same stuff. I didn't. I mean, I mean, I, I didn't believe this was a good thing ever because the first time I heard about it, uh, it was presented to me in a light that this guy's a dummy. Um, the first time I heard about it was from well, a psychology teacher in psychology class. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, ever since I heard about this experiment, I've always heard that this guy is uh, he. But I, obviously, from uh, I, all I knew was that he was in the experiment, and there was a whole bunch of stuff with the experiment that wasn't done in like a, a scientific way. He didn't have any blind studies or anything. Like that's all I knew. So you, you were probably more accurate in your assumption of the experiment than I was. Did yeah, well, know? I didn't really have an assumption. Someone told me that this is a dumb experiment because uh, <laughs> like, I don't know, my, my, when, when, I was, when I was like uh, 11 or something, uh, can't have been 11, that's too young. It must've been like 13 time, who, who knows how it works. When I, when I went to junior high. Let's uh, say 14 and a quarter. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> when, I went, when I first started going to junior high, right? Yeah. 
then we had a teacher talk about it in like a science class or something. He just mentioned it passingly in one, one session. And he said, it's, it's a dumb experiment that was like ran by a, a guy who was not very scientific. Yeah. And, but I, I had no idea he was this much of a fucking bastard. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's so much worse than you might imagine yeah. on his face. It's based I mean, it, it comes from, I don't know if it's based on the, the studies that were held in 1953 and 54, but the point is, is that to get results where people are pitted against each other, because both experiments were trying to do the same thing at, at their core. They were trying to show, they're trying to see what, well, I guess, I, I guess Philip, you know, Zimbardo was trying to get to look at the prisoners and see they were trying to see what they would do under pressure. So I guess it's not really the same thing at the onset but the takeaway from both was that people will will immediately draw battle lines and you know do do horrible things to each other when they're put in an us versus them setting but both sets of experiments had you know the 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 1954 study proved or allegedly proved that the kids would turn on each other only by manufacturing what they had learned from 1953 when it didn't work and then the, the Stanford experiment was amped up to 11 and then disproven by the BBC in 2001. And, and like, it, it turns out that, that it seems more likely, at least in these, what these experiments are proving, you know, it seems more likely that people are kind of good. You know, they're, they're willing to work together and try to suppress disputes. And, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest, when people say reality TV is manufactured, you know, what they mean is, yeah, it's a kind of unscripted, but everybody has their role. They have expectations placed on each of the actors to behave a certain way. And everybody knows that the edits and cuts and are done in a way that makes it look more volatile and more conflict-driven than it really is. And people are being told, like, they're being constantly manipulated by the showrunners throughout the show all the time. Right. And they're all Just trying to prove from going from the 1950s to the 70s to reality television in the last 20 years, they're all trying to prove the same farce that people behave like this when they're, when they're in you know, a struggle for resources. Not that they work together and, and you know, join their resources and help each other. Because they're being manipulated into situations to make it look that way. Honestly, it sounds like those guys in 53 were way ahead of their time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only to crash and burn in 54 <laughs> yeah i think they were way ahead of their time i think they i think they would have made excellent like tv executives in in like today's world i think i think they invented the <laughs> reality television yeah, they invented basically brain melting tv <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny oh man any last thoughts uh it's not really any thoughts at all it's just kind of like a soup of annoyed emotions <laughs> you know i'm just thinking like fuck this guy someone should really tell him off oh man you know? maybe some other time we can talk about stanley milgram because you'll love the inconsistencies there too oh let's let's wait a long while until we go there <laughs> <laughs> i'm feeling really pissy now i want to send them i want to send a stern letter to this guy well he's still alive he's he uh apparently won't care but you can still do it <laughs> yeah that's a shame 
That's <laughs> ah, a shame that he doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would have been happy if he at least was like, oh, I was young, I was uh, stupid, I didn't really think it through." The fact that he's proud of it. Oh, you yeah. slime ball! And, he, and he's doubling down and, and essentially saying the results don't matter to me anymore. All that matters is that I'm a household name. Yeah, well, I mean, at least then he's like fucking admitting it to everyone that he's no scientist. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I wonder just... if he has like a, a biography, like a, a web page or something. I wonder what he would list himself as. Uh, Shitster, I would imagine. <laughs> that's, what I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do in this episode, though, is go look him up and see if I can find if he's got like a, you know, like a tagline, like you go to his website and it says like one of the world's leading psychologists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the world's most famous fucking uh, douchebags, famous <laughs> shitsters. Yeah, I'm that I'm that I'm that uh, extraneous friend in the friendship group that makes everything worse, <laughs> and I'm really famous for it. Uh, yeah, well, and it, it's it it makes a lot of science between then and now suspect because that that peer review immunity that he enjoyed he's cited by a lot of papers, and now some of those conclusions lose gravitas gravitas you know they, 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 you don't have yeah i mean anyone anyone who cites him as a source i wouldn't trust them to uh i wouldn't trust them to write any paper <laughs> uh all right well take us off get dressed in the morning i mean if they write this guy as a fucking source <laughs> they need help fucking making their own breakfast jesus christ <laughs> Uh, like that's, that's that using him as a source if you know this it's like that's a severe lapse in judgment right there yeah i mean it's like asking paris hilton to help you design a submarine that's not gonna I mean, yeah, I mean, as an engineer it's, it's probably gonna be bejeweled as hell but um yeah yeah okay would watertight be the proper way to describe that submarine <laughs> probably not <laughs> it would probably be like one of those sunglasses that's not even glasses. It's just lines. <laughs> you know? Like, like a wicker submarine. Right. right. Yeah. You see, if you fill it with water, it actually sinks a lot faster. <laughs> Good, Paris. Good. Play with the dogs. Oh, God. Right. Okay, do we have anything more to say about this topic? No, I'm done. I'm talked out. Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm emotionally done. Uh, <laughs> all right. So this has been Moot. Please follow us on Twitter at the Moot Podcast and visit us at the Moot subreddit. Have a glorious evening, all or right. whenever people listen. Yeah, yeah all the time, twenty four seven. Have a glorious life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye.